Please remember, supporting our sponsors supports us and allows us to continue doing the show. There's a couple of things we need to get you up to speed on. Our favorite season is the fall, and more specifically, Halloween. That's why this year we've made a plan to get spookier and spookier as we draw close to that time of year. We're also going to be making an effort to post shows more frequently. No promises yet, but we are hard at work on it. This means our existing shows are going to be a little bit shorter so we can get them out the door on time. But the amount of content overall will be the same. You'll just be able to access it a little more frequently. So since it's already July and fall is just around the corner, why don't we go ahead and take a visit to the thin place? Where the barrier between light and dark is so fragile, you sometimes can't tell which side of it you're on. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. In this generation, like so many others, people have been led to believe that the devil is a myth, a figure, an idea, the idea of evil. But the devil exists, and we must fight against him. Pope Francis. Join us tonight for part one of a story that you won't soon forget. Good evening. This series will be slightly different from our usual format in that we won't be getting too deep into presenting various theories and possible explanations for what you're about to hear. That might happen later on down the road, but for right now, we're just going to let our guests tell their story. And naturally, we'll be asking questions along the way with our usual curiosity and sense of wonder. As always, our job is not to convince you of what really happened and why or how. We'll leave that for you, the listener, to decide. We're just going to let our guests, John and Deborah, tell you about their experience. And of course, you're free to believe whatever you wish. We understand that there will be those of you who will doubt the details of the story or wonder if they've been misinterpreted or actually happened as they've been told. And if you're looking for a tidy, reasonable, and rational explanation, I'm afraid we can't help you there. All I can do is tell you that I can personally vouch for our guests' honesty, intelligence, and integrity. Although they have a great sense of humor, they are no pranksters. They are not kooks or rubes. In short, I believe that they're telling me the truth as they witnessed it, as much as anyone can believe and trust anything someone else tells them. We believe, as with many supernatural events, the scientific explanations can only take you so far. It's like the Big Bang Theory. Our current scientific understanding can hypothesize that there was a bang of some kind that started our universe. But they can't tell you what was there before it, and theoretically and philosophically, something cannot come from nothing. Or can it? The rest of the way to a satisfactory conclusion for your own peace of mind, if there is one to be found, will be up to your own reason and common sense. And especially in cases of paranormal events where there is a spiritual angle, it often comes down to a matter of faith and something that can neither be proven nor disproven. Keep in mind, just because you've never personally experienced something yourself that isn't proof of its non-existence, although it may seem unreasonable to you. By the same token, just because science can explain one aspect of a phenomenon, it doesn't mean that they've explained the whole thing, although it often seems debunkers would like to think so. Now, on the other hand, I believe black holes exist, because I believe the scientific explanation for them, even though I've never personally seen one. And technically, if you're looking at a picture from a telescope of where one is thought to be, you're actually just seeing the absence of light from it, 
since their gravitational pull is so strong, not even light can escape them. When it comes to personal experience, it is often said by people who go through these extraordinary events that the feeling that came with it was far beyond our normal reality, something that can't be explained to someone else, let alone understood by them, and they won't really know what you're talking about until they experience something like it for themselves. That distinct feeling is also never really forgotten, and it can be recalled in all its extreme intensity just by thinking about it. Maybe this feeling is the only evidence left behind of a reality beyond the one that we know. Now, you may never believe that paranormal things happen to regular people, but isn't that what everyone says? I never believed in this until it happened to me. Well, of one thing I'm certain. Not believing in something won't keep you from experiencing it. Engaging from what you're about to hear, we hope you never do. Well put, friend. We're now going to take you to part one of an interview with an old college buddy of Forrest's, whom he hadn't spoken to in 28 years until recently by chance. John, his wife Deborah, and their entire family experienced something in 2014 that is going to rattle your cage for sure. What follows is the first half of our interview with them, done just a few nights ago. So I'm John. I am in computers or software field. I have been married to Deb for a long time now, 23, 23 years. Whew, passed that test. Um, we have lived here in Washington State for the last 15 years. We have four kids together. We've, as you said, been through a lot, but it's been a challenge, and it's from our strength together that some of these things are surmountable. I'm Deborah, and... I am married to John and ditto to everything he said. And uh, we have definitely been through a lot. Wow. So 20, 20, I've been married 22 years. You guys are one year ahead of me. And well, I've only we're got older. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And I've only got one kid, which is uh, frankly enough for me. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, we, we've got a lend lease program if, if, you, <laughs> if you want to find out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got one uh, seven year old. So. Um, and and he's a handful for sure. I wanted Scott on the call because so much of this, I mean, I, I have a tremendous amount of empathy, but I, you know, I don't have any kids. And I think this is such a family parent child story here that I, I was I was glad that Scott was able to join us. So thank you so much for being able to do that on a Monday night, because I was going to just do it by myself on Sunday. So what what happened in your life and your family that kind of led to where you are now. So we have four children. Our oldest was off at college. Our next oldest, to whom everything happened, this is going to be something that repeats itself later on down the line. But he had just come back from a scout outing. He wasn't feeling well from that point. And that's where really the wheels started to come off the wagon, I guess is the best way to put it from the standpoint that he started to not feel well that then escalated into him staying home from school for a few weeks well he initially it was, he was home for a week from school with headaches not feeling well and i took him to actually i took him to a chiropractor because he tends to have a lot of headaches and things like this and so he gets a lot of relief from the chiropractor and i took him in after a week and said can you help him and the doctor was looking at him and he said you know I think you really need to go to the ER. I think he has meningitis. Wow. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, the stiffness of his neck, his headaches. 
I think he has meningitis. So I called John and I said, we're on our way to Children's. We may have meningitis here. We went to Children's and they ran tests and they're like, we don't see anything. And, and by tests, it was an MRI. It was the serious equipment that they pulled out to go ahead and check these things out. It was not a, it was not just a guy with a stethoscope checking him out. They put him through a battery of tests. I got to tell you, Scott, I am really digging Blue Apron. Me too, man. It's seriously been a game changer in my house on a lot of levels. We were eating out all the time, spending a fortune, and getting bored with it. But since Blue Apron, we're getting healthier, fresher meals, and I'm also really enjoying the side benefit of feeling like a chef. Well, that's one of the quotes from the website. You actually feel like you're learning how to cook. I mean, not only am I excited to see it when it shows up on my doorstep, but it's like a delicious puzzle. There's all these elements that are fresh. You don't know how they're going to go together, but they do, and it makes a delicious meal. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. This week's menu includes sweet chili chicken with Tinkerbell peppers, which can be very difficult to catch, <laughs> right. and spice steak and tomato avocado salad with creamy cone cabbage and red onion slaw. Okay, what's cone cabbage? I've, I've got no idea, but I can't <laughs> wait to eat it. <laughs> well, the coolest thing that's happened since they first started sponsoring us is that they've added an extra meal to the special offer. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com astonishing. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. BlueApron.com slash astonishing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, so John and Deborah, would you say that before this, everything kind of came to a head, that he'd, he'd missed some school here and there, and he'd had things like headaches or stomach aches, typical childhood things, but really... They really hadn't come to a head until the specific date. And so could you, uh, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. He took a tremendous downfall as things started to progress. We had everybody from specialists at the hospital to our pediatrician, to the chiropractor, to a special massage therapist who works on cranial issues. We had people... Um, looking at him from all different perspectives and not being able to really tell us definitively what was wrong with him. Right, because that's, you know, that's one question that everybody's going to ask. Uh, well, did you take him to, to this kind of doctor or did you go down this avenue? So what you're telling us, though, is that you've pretty much exhausted everything that was recommended to you or that you could think of. From the Western medicine to the naturopaths to the acupuncturists, we had some rehab people, physical therapists. We had just a whole gauntlet of people looking at him, and every single one of them said, can't really tell you what's going on with him. Don't know why this is happening. How much time was spent with all these various diagnoses? How long did that take? Oh, my gosh. How long did it take or how long did it feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, both. I, I imagine it felt. I can't even... Uh, we Seemingly, we were at a doctor every day, one way or another, um, somebody wanting to see him again after they'd seen him a couple of days prior, such as some of the physical therapist people, or somebody new, such as the acupuncturist who wanted to attempt to bring his system back together or in synergy or whatever you want to say. So yeah, I had we had doctor's appointments pretty much daily. And one of the other things to note, too, throughout this whole process 
again, this really started off in February and it was continually through really into April towards the, the middle and end of April. During that time on a daily basis, he was deteriorating in front of our eyes. Yeah, we had 23 days precisely in which he did not sleep through a single night. He vomited continuously. The circles under his eyes, he just couldn't get out of bed and no one could tell us what was going on with him. And it's it's not just the fact that he couldn't sleep, it was like clockwork. And this is what started to have me thinking about other avenues that we'll get into. Always around three o'clock in the morning, definitely by 3.30 in the morning, that's when he would wake up screaming. That's when he would be having his nightmares. That's when he would be just calling out in both pain and in terror. Uh, at which point we would... He was dreaming of something that was killing him. He was experiencing his own death over and over nightly. And it was the exact same thing every night as well. Wow. But you're saying that it it typically occurred around 3 a.m. nightly. Yeah. And when you were exploring, you know, getting all these professional opinions, were you restricting yourselves to uh, particular like Western medicine versus more holistic medicine versus that, you know, what did you, or were you just trying to get it solved or what, what was your approach? There? Well, we started out with Western med, obviously, because somebody tells you they have meningitis. You're like, Oh, I've got to go to the Western medicine people. And then <laughs> you get a little frustrated when you get in the doors and they're running the tests and they're like, sorry, we, we got nothing to tell you. There's nothing here. And you're like, really? Cause this kid's got these headaches and can't move his neck, and those seem to be signs of meningitis. Nope, we can't see anything. There's nothing here. Yeah, I had a and question. Then, I'm, I'm sorry. Just how do they leave that with yeah. you? I mean, what, what what suggestions do they have at the end of that when they, they say- They had none, and that's where my frustration grew. They had none. They would look you right in the eye and say, sorry, don't know what to tell you, but we see nothing wrong or nothing that we can prove is definitively causing these issues. And right. so you walk away and it's this, this, this whole um, seesaw kind of feeling because you go in there, you don't want them to find something wrong with your child, but in the same respect, you do want them to find something wrong with your child because you want to know what you're supposed to fix, right? Like if the doctor comes to you and says, oh, your child has X, Y, Z, you're like, great, how do we fix that? But if the doctor comes to you and says, I don't know what to tell you, what are you supposed to do with that information? Right. There's no there's no answer there. And it's not no. like uh, ask the doctors like, hey, if it were your child, what would you do next? What's the next a- step? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what do they say? They said, well, if he gets worse, come back. <laughs> and he just was just steadily getting worse. He was getting worse, but there was nothing for them to say definitively. It was not showing up on enough on their their tests or their monitors or whatever, it wasn't enough for them to say, yeah, that actually does look like meningitis or yeah, we would say it's this or that or the other thing. They would say, we don't know what to do with that. And again, putting things into perspective, by the time that we hit mid to late March, it's not like he was walking in to those doctor appointments to go ahead and present himself to have them check him out. He, he couldn't walk. If you would, yeah, kind of describe uh, the symptoms of his decline, shall we say. Both from the exhaustion as well as from the the nightmares and from everything else, he was physically deteriorating to the point where 
He couldn't really walk around the house. He had to be helped. He would constantly need someone under an arm just to get him to, to be mobile around the house. By the end of March, he was really doing more of a, a crab walk around the house. That was how he was mobile. What, um, what does that mean to he, explain that? He was literally down on all fours. He was, he was crawling. Um, yeah, he was, his legs were not, um, his knees definitely were not dependable. He would buckle, his knees would buckle just without warning. So it was really unsafe for him. We live in a house that's got multiple stairs and it was unsafe for him. If I were downstairs and, you know, he needed to get a drink of water or use the restroom or whatever, it was really unsafe for him to walk by himself because his knees were not dependable. And one of the things that we noticed as well, especially, and, and this became more clear as to kind of what was going on later on down the line, anytime that he would try to exit the house, anytime or that enter. he would- Or enter. Or enter the house, anytime that he would cross over a threshold, whether it was a door going out front, going out the side onto our deck, going out the garage door, it would be as if he was walking through some kind of a, a film or something that would physically knock him down. Yeah. His knees would buckle routinely as he walked, but the one, pl the one place where it was always... Guaranteed. Yeah. It, no matter what, like clockwork, that was the barrier that when he crossed through that, he would fall down. He had to have two people eventually holding him on each side in order to get him through a threshold to or from the house. The problems he was having walking, was that related to pain or just a lack of strength or both? No, physically his knees would just give out on him. But he was a high level physical therapist, people who were in awe of what was going on and yet could tell me no reason of why these were giving out. His, he physically had the strength, the muscle mass was there. Um, they analyzed his legs up and down and were like, his legs are fine. We, and, we don't realize, we don't know why this is happening for him. And again, to put this in perspective too, six months before that, he was on both the ultimate Frisbee team at school as well as on the lacrosse team at school. Wow. So he's, he yeah, no, normally just a very vigorous, healthy young man. Yeah. Yeah. Did any diagnosis that you'd heard, did any one of those sound more reasonable to you? Uh, or did at some point it's like, you know what, nothing they've said makes any sense to what he's going on and they certainly don't know. That was the thing. There really wasn't a diagnosis. Nobody could put the pieces together and form anything that sounded like it was a diagnosis. They all were kind of scratching their heads and looking at me and looking at him and saying, well, if it gets worse, come back. It was one of those really gray areas of he wasn't really sick enough to be in the system or to be helped. And yet he was so sick that, you know, I certainly didn't know what to do with him. I was like, what more can I do for this poor child that's having these nightmares? His knees are buckling. He's got these headaches. His stomach hurts. We did spend lots of time with a naturopath. Um, she tried to really help his immune system. You know, we were doing lots of different supplements and things like that. He couldn't tolerate taking them internally. So we tried to get them onto his skin any way possible, either through salves or putting the supplements in a foot bath and having him soak his feet, just trying to get sustenance into this child because he was declining right in front of us and nobody seemed to know how to help him. 
what and you know and this is a, a delicate question but i know that some of our listeners will be wondering this was anyone saying to you or did you for at any point in time think that it would might be psychosomatic or that there was something going like how did you guys feel about the reality of what he was experiencing definitely thought that um one thing that i i guess has always been an issue probably more so since we've lived in this house everyone has gone through their rounds of depression as well as rounds of just traumatic things happening, sometimes seemingly totally out of our control that just spiral into other things. So at, at first, some of the thought was, well, he's, congratulations, you're now in puberty. Now you get to go through the same thing that other people do as well, and we'll ride this out with you. But because of the other extenuating factors, especially, again, with the recurring nightmares being the same, it really seemed to be something a bit stronger than that. But yes, it, it started off thinking down the road of this is one of those typical adolescence type of phases, but that, especially with all the other symptoms, that thought quickly, I think, faded. You know what's been great, Scott? Having access to the Great Courses Plus video learning service and their over 7,000 video lectures over these past several weeks. I know, man. I cannot get enough of it. It's like when Neo pops into the Matrix and learns how to fly a helicopter after a quick download. <laughs> I'm not sure that metaphor works here. You know what I mean. <laughs> okay, yeah, a little. Well, you know what I've been watching on there recently? What? Forensic History. Crimes, Frauds, and Scandals with Forensic Anthropologist, Instructor at the U.S. Department of Justice, and award-winning professor, Dr. Elizabeth A. Murray. Whoa, I gotta check that out. Yes, you do, because any one of the 24 lectures in this series could be an episode of our show. Listen to some of the lineup here. Jack the Ripper, The Black Dahlia Murder, and Lizzie Borden. Professor Murray talks about how the Jack the Ripper case was one of the first and most sensational cases of crime reporting, and it's still a mystery to this day. We really want you guys to try the Great Courses Plus out, so they're giving you a special chance to watch hundreds of their courses for free, including Forensic History, Crimes, Frauds, and Scandals. We know you'll love the Great Courses Plus as much as we do, so sign up today, and as one of our podcast listeners, you'll immediately get one month free to start watching as many lectures as you want, and be sure to check out Forensic History, Crimes, Frauds, and Scandals. To start your free trial today, sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Check it out. You can look at this and, and say he's playing sports up until recently, but now he can't get around. And I, I'm sure this you, you've encountered this, and it's kind of just part of human nature. Everybody's always got, well, did you trick this? Well, this sounds like heavy metal poisoning. Or did you go to this doctor? Right. So you were getting a lot of that? Yeah, I got a couple people saying, well, it could be Lyme disease. Or it could be, Lyme disease is the one that comes to mind the most. Right. It could be Lyme disease. Um, the chiropractor was fascinated to learn that it wasn't meningitis. Because he's like, I, I really think it's meningitis. Now, the cranial expert believed that his meninges were really heavily inflamed, but that Jack's immune system was actually fighting it enough that it wouldn't show up on the typical Western docs uh, machinery. And that's the reason why they came back and said, it's not really meningitis. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Everybody kind of had a little bit of an interpretation of what was going on, but nobody was really willing to say, yes, this is indeed what it is. Um, the closest I got 
was the cranial expert who thought it was meningitis, but that Jack was working on it himself. You know, his immune system was really good, she thought. I asked her if she'd ever seen anything like this before. She said she'd had one other child. It was a boy who'd had very similar symptoms at one point, and they had taken him to the Mayo Clinic, and she lost track of him after that, but that he was having a very difficult time with, you know, kind of similar symptoms. But that's that's all I ever got out of anybody as far as any type of official diagnosis. Also, just for disclosure, too, and hopefully this will answer some questions, one of the other things that we checked out early on was the possibility of any kind of drugs. But to understand both Jack as well as, I guess, the house in general, it's a pretty clean ship from the standpoint that even though we asked him, even though we checked things out, that was never anything that really even entered into the into the process. As far as our kids, half the time we have to fight just to get them to take vitamins. Uh, as far as them doing any other kind of substances or any other kind of substance abuse, not only based on the fact that he was he was home pretty much the entire time and he wouldn't have had a source for them, that's not really something that would have fit into his personality or into the behavior model. Well, plus he'd had blood tests and things like that done with the numerous doctors he'd right. been to. So, I mean, everything there checked out as far as... Yeah, obviously you guys had his blood tested. You, He was checked yeah. for different kinds of poison. Because people, a lot of people will mention that there's similarities between some of his symptoms and heavy metal toxicity. So uh, right. you guys would have found all that in the blood test, right. I would presume. Right? Yeah. Yep. So you go through months and months of this, misdiagnoses or lack of a diagnosis at all. Uh, what happens next? I was standing there talking to Deb based on some of the things that had gone on recently in our own lives, let alone everything that was happening to Jack. I said to Deb, jokingly, maybe I'm the one that's possessed. The fact that that even crossed my mind was a warning sign from the standpoint that I have been aware of some of the stories when when I was younger. I used to read a lot of the books, and we both went to Catholic school, so it's kind of ingrained as far as kind of that that storyline, being aware of some of those those forces that are out there. Right. And I, I remember talking with you, as I love to do in, uh, back in college, we would exchange strange stories like Father Malachi Martin and some of the other uh, odd things. So, I, you know, I knew that you had known about them, but I had no idea or could have predicted that something this severe would have happened to you. Yep. So after we had talked about that and after I, I thought, mm, maybe this is life trying to tell me something, I tried to do some research. My first source from which to check things out was to go to the internet. I looked around for different pieces of information and I take a bus into work. So based on that, I've got an hour on my hands to and fro. So one of the things that I started to do was to listen to various podcasts. That's actually how I ended up finding the information about Debbie Chestnut. Who is Debbie Chestnut? Debbie is a spiritual person. She was on a podcast where she was talking about evil spirits. And since I had just done a search to try and find some information about this, I was very interested in not only listening to what she had to say, some of the signs or some of the things to be aware of as far as potentially a malevolent spirit being present in a given situation. But one of the things that I, I think I was very interested in hearing as well as something that I was very happy to hear at the end of her show, she had, and if you have any questions, please contact me. Here's my contact information. 
So here I am riding on the, the city bus, writing something down so that I could follow up as soon as I got to work. And as soon as I did, I heard back from her that afternoon. And that's really where the adventure began. Yeah. So how did you uh, present your story to her? Did you talk with her on the phone or email her? Like, how, how does that process start with a case like this and a paranormal investigator like herself? So I started off by letting her know the physical symptoms that Jack was experiencing as far as his lack of muscle coordination, the fact that he was to the point where he couldn't walk anymore, the fact that for the better part of a month, for 23 days straight by that point, he was having nightmares every single night, the exact same dream, the exact same time, and the exact same outcome as far as him being killed. The fact that his knees were buckling, the fact that any time that we tried to take him out of the house, he would lose motor control, really all of these signs together. And I, I really just said, I'm wondering if you're interested in this. Now, she was not the first person you'd contacted, right? I believe you contacted some paranormal investigators or paranormal teams in, in the kind of the Seattle area. That's true. Right at the beginning of that week after Deb and I had talked, I began the process of trying to contact someone about this. I looked up different sites on the web. I looked up different people, even in the yellow pages. And there was one paranormal research group in Seattle. I talked to them. They seemed very interested, gave them all of the symptoms. They said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to help you out with this. Can you tell us more about your son? Well, he's, he's a 14-year-old, but oh, 14. Uh, we'd love to help you, but we can't. Yeah, just I imagine just the liability with somebody who's uh, under 18. They didn't want to uh, handle or would have the insurance for and all that. Correct. And it seemed like they all said, wow, you've really got something interesting. You've really got something where you need help. Sorry. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah I mean, just one, one more um, can't help you. Uh, however... Yeah. Now, you're, are you starting to, both of you, are you starting to piece together, maybe John much more than I think uh, uh, Deborah at this point, because John's doing some active research and kind of dwelling on it. Well, and I was too involved in the day-to-day of just managing Jack and the other kids and the, you know, I was just trying to put one foot in front of the other right, and just trying to think about how to get Jack better. And so I'd have to say we were probably working on you know, two different avenues at that point in time, because it was just, it was just overwhelming. Right. You were just trying to keep the household together. Uh, John is doing his thing. But at what point though, when John starts to realize, maybe start piecing things together, you go to Debbie and what was different about her? Why did she take the case? I think it was in part because of the fact that taking a step back and looking at all the facts objectively, I've read enough of the stories. I've seen enough of the case files on various issues to know that a lot of these things kind of add up. And I think that as soon as she saw the same things that I was seeing, she immediately said, wow, we've got to do something about this. And that that was the vibe that I got from her, even from the emails that we had back and forth. And that was in the course of one afternoon. By that, I think it was either that day or it was the very next day that I first spoke with her over the phone. She all but said, we need to get you immediate help. Well, it's been a few weeks now, and I am definitely fully converted to Mack Weldon underwear, socks, and shirts. Yeah, I'm with you, man. This stuff is insanely comfortable. In fact, it's so comfortable, they actually stand behind it with a promise that if you don't like your first pair of underwear from them, you can keep it, and they'll still give you a refund. It's just that good. 
Well, I like their line of silver underwear and the shirts too. Not intended for werewolf use. <laughs> well, it's Pima cotton combined with what they call silver XT2, which is antimicrobial, so it helps keep things fresh, if you catch my drift. Not only do I not catch your drift, I don't particularly want to. <laughs> yeah, look who's talking. Okay. <laughs> Mac Weldon will tell you that their stuff is better than whatever you're wearing right now, and at this point I have to say that I agree with them because it's sure better than what I used to have. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your order using the promo code LEGENDS. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code LEGENDS. So, yeah, so not only is she interested in the case, like the other groups seem to be, but she realized the gravity of it, that, that this could lead somewhere bad. Yeah. Correct. And I, I'm not, to be totally honest, I'm not positive where Debbie is located. I don't know if she is also in Texas. The group with whom they connected us, they were a very active group in the Houston area, and that's where we ended up connecting with James. James was kind of our case lead that she introduced us to within a day or two, who his first step was to try and explain to us some of the things that his group does, some of the things that they've experienced. And again, I think by this point, because I knew where some of these things were going, and because Deb and I, by this point, had had the chance to talk, we kind of surprised him by saying, yeah, we get it. Okay, what's next? <laughs> right, right. You were, at that point, ready to just try something. Yeah. Right. Okay, so what were the next steps, though? Uh, Debbie has agreed to kind of look over the case and make some recommendations, and she passes this off to the Houston Ghost Research Team, which I believe is headed by James Sangster. Uh, that's correct. Okay, so why did that happen? Did she, was she thinking that this was going to be too much for her alone, and then she needed some help? Well, taking a step back, the very next step that I took was to talk to Deb and say, "Oh, by the way, I I contacted someone who's a paranormal expert, someone that is a spiritualist who thinks that we've got something that we need to deal with, and is someone that is very interested in helping us out." And how did she? How did she react to that? <laughs> like, what? What, what is well, the typical she, reaction? She, she well, now I can laugh about it, but I must right. admit that when he said that, I, I must have rolled my eyes, and I must have been like, "You what?" Like, <laughs> I, I just was like, "Okay, all right, whatever." Kind of like, you know, yeah. let him. If this is where the stress has taken him and he needs to follow this down whatever road it is, like, I didn't have time. I, I can just remember my brain was focused on Jack, fo focused on the kids, and I had no bandwidth right. to really explore anything outside of just what I was doing. So I just let that go. And I was like, okay, sure, you know, whatever. But I remember thinking at the time, oh, my gosh, like... <laughs> Wow, we have really, you know, we've really gone outside the box this time. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps this is how a, a 23-year marriage exists. Yeah. But see, in my mind, it played out a little bit differently. <laughs> <laughs> right. the, uh, the way that I saw the conversation play out, it was almost said as casually as some couples say, hey, I picked up a new bowling ball. <laughs> Me, I call up and said, hey, I talked to a demonologist. <laughs> Um, there was a slight pause, and then Deb just said, okay. And <laughs> yeah, what do you do it, with it? It wasn't an, okay, and I'm going to have you committed. It was an, and what I did they have to say? I didn't have time to think about yeah. committing did you. you. Did, you did you remember to get the milk and the eggs? Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> One of the things that is actually consistent, and 
again, I want to, I want to praise her, not just because, <laughs> not just because I have to. <laughs> right. uh, Deb was very strong throughout this entire process. It wasn't so much a, okay, and you're nuts. It was, okay, now what's our next step? Because <laughs> this entire process, not only with each one of the doctors, as well as everything that we went through with, with James and his team, it was all about, I don't really care about it. I'm not really going to think about it. I'm just going to do it. Because at the end of the day, as much as we're laughing now and we're finally able to laugh about some of these things, we knew we needed to save Jack's life. Yeah. That's where he was at, and that's where he was going. You felt there was a palpable sense that he was dealing with a possibly fatal situation. Yeah. We, oh, my God. That's it, as far as back And on background, too, we have our youngest. She was in the hospital as well. This was when she was first born. She had gone through a, a life-threatening illness. In fact, she's the only one of her children that's already had last rites. Um, uh. So we had been through this this kind of step before. We we know what it's like to get into that fight or flight kind of mechanism. And when it comes to your children, you you fight. And I think as parents, you have that connection with your children. You have you you know when they're faking pain and when they're truly. That's absolutely hurt. right. That is a very good point that I'm so glad you brought up, and I probably wouldn't have. But yeah, it's super obvious when they're not being truthful about something like that. Right. And you, you have this connection to your children that is just, it's just there and you can feel it. It's palpable and you could see him declining and you knew we were not winning the battle. We were not winning it. All right. So you, you've contacted Debbie. Debbie has put you in, in touch with uh, James's Houston research team. What happens next? So James put his team on it after he had the chance to interview us, to talk with us. And I think even at this point, when we first talked with James, we were sitting on even this same couch talking over not this same computer, but I think we were talking over the same program at the time. So it was very much a, okay, what do you guys have to say? I was giving them a lot of the information. Deb was very skeptical at this point, but she started to open up probably about halfway through the call and we really started to give them just a download of everything that we were going through all the steps that we had tried and all the things that we were sensing at the time and James response was pretty much well we're going to get to work we didn't yeah. really know what that meant at the time right yeah but really what that meant is that he was going to put some of his his team that actually specializes in remote viewing onto the case to try and hone in on what they could see because I had sent photos to them. One of the first things that James asked me to do was to walk around the house, take photos, take a couple of photos of Jack, take a couple of photos of his room so that they would have that anchor point so that they could see things so that they could concentrate around it. And so that they could have some kind of point of reference, uh, I guess, to project upon. I want to say something that we haven't hadn't made clear at the start of the show but one of the first things that when you first reconnected with Forrest, you had indicated that you guys had done an interview before on another podcast, which uh, is called Higher Consciousness, I believe. Or Yeah, the, the, the name James's group has uh, – they have several different outlets. One, they have an, uh, a website called Spirit Remediation Consultants. And we'll have these links uh, in our in our show notes on the website uh, later. But he's got uh, he's got a group that – does paranormal investigations 
uh, spiritual cleansings, I, I believe. And he's got a kind of a day job as well. So they're really immersed in this and they take it very, very seriously. And they seem to have a network of people who, uh, you know, have gifts with remote viewing techniques, but also uh, empathic, psychic, I guess you could say. Uh, am, I, am I on the right path here, John? I think that it's great that you're pointing out how serious they are from the standpoint that at the end of that conversation that that he, well, the three of us had, it was not just a, okay, we'll take care of this. Yeah. It was, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. He gave us a shopping list. He gave us a number of books that we didn't have a choice. He said, go off and read these now. And that's the other thing I wanted to say about that, the interview that you did on the other podcast, which uh, Force and I, of course, have both listened to a few times now. Um, and we'll we'll be sharing a link to that original interview for our listeners that that want to hear that one as well. But do you still have those titles of those books? Uh, yes, we've got one of them sitting right over here on the dresser. But I can send you even the original threads to let you know what those are. That would be great. I would love to share that with our listeners. Uh, I think sure. I think they would be interested in that. Well, James has a bunch of different topics that he talks about on his Higher Consciousness Radio. It's really kind of a collection on YouTube. So there's different uh, there's different topics. This happens to be one. It's uh, also available as a podcast, though. Yeah, yeah I, I believe. Yeah, we'll have to. We're gonna we're gonna try and speak with them after this. Yeah, to kind of get their side of the mechanics of it. Hopefully, uh, they've initially agreed. So hopefully, we can uh, make the scheduling work. But we're gonna talk to them about the mechanics of this and yeah. what is happening, why some things work, why some things don't seem to and really kind of get a handle on what's going on. But as you as you said, he's experienced. He knows that you have to participate as well. Right. I, I love the shopping. I mean, it's it's like a movie script. It's like, all right, go to the store. We need three carrots, <laughs> yeah. some incense, yeah. you know. A bag of kosher back. salt. <laughs> okay. It was a little yeah. bit like that, just a little bit. And also under the category of a, of a movie script, it was interesting, yet at the same time, again, it made total sense. He said, okay, have you talked with Jack about any of this? Does he know that you're talking with us? No? Good. Don't. Yeah, that was really, he hit hard on that one. Don't talk to, don't tell Jack that you've talked to me. Don't tell him that we're doing anything on his behalf. He made it very clear that effectively, again, putting it in alias terms, he was compromised. He, as John said uh, previously, he was wearing a wire to the other side. He, yeah. whatever that he's experiencing. And you know what? People who hear this and they say like, well, you know what? Maybe they're working Jack up. They're very worried. He can sense that. He's getting worse because he can feel the tension and the, and the worry in his parents uh, discussing these things. I want to make it clear that he hasn't heard any of this that you had no. been discussing. Well, no. and, and one thing that we haven't even talked about yet, and this was pretty critical, Throughout this entire process, from the beginning of it, one of the things that Jack was most upset about is that in the corner of any room that he was in, in the corner of his eye, basically kind of hovering in the corner, the upper left or right side of the room that he was in, there was some kind of a shadow. There was something that he could always see. There was something that was coming towards him, and that's what would make him most upset. That started off... At night, that got worse during the day to the point where it was happening 24 hours a day. The one thing that James did ask us to talk to Jack about was just to say, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you draw a picture of this thing that you're seeing? Can you draw a picture of that thing that you're seeing in the corner of the room? He was really reluctant to do that 
but he eventually did. And it kind of turned out a little bit different than what we thought. Right. So I kind of wanted to get back also to just kind of recap about the power of imagery. Well, first of all, Jack had not really told you this prior, right? What what he was seeing, this black specter of sorts in his room? No, he, he had told us about that. So part of the process, though, is is for James and his team to kind of get a target, I think, as he says. He has you take photos of Jack, of the house, of the room, pretty much everything. And along with that... Yeah, then he, he sent them out to his team for blind readings, right? They didn't know what was going on in your case. Correct. And And then he gets feedback from them. And they, in theory, they have no way of knowing what's happening. Correct. Okay. And so what were some of the more poignant things that came from the photos for the for these folks doing the readings? The feedback that we first got from James is that his team could sense that there was something there, but they couldn't really get a, a firm grip on it. The one thing that they did see, they did see, well... It was attached. There was something coming out of his yeah. head, and it was attached to something. Something was pulling from the top of his head and was attached to Jack. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode, which hopefully you didn't listen to alone in the dark. As we mentioned at the top, we'll be back in just one week with the second part of this interview. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Blue Apron, The Great Courses Plus, and Mac Weldon. You can now find easy links to all of their offers at astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. <laughs>